know, being in the number two seat, when I was a deputy chief in Charlotte, those that was number two to the chief of police. We had four deputy chiefs. And it's completely different being in that number two seat. When you rise to that number one seat, everything literally is on your shoulders. There's nobody to defer to. And so that puts a lot of stress on you, you know, mental stress, physical stress, everything. You're listening to the Black and Blue Podcast, a discussion and celebration of the roles of African Americans and other minorities in U.S. law enforcement. Your host on the Black and Blue Podcast is Dale Peters, a law enforcement professional with over 20 years experience in the business. Hop on board this Black and Blue train of interviews, current events, and pop culture conversations. So get ready. The Black and Blue Podcast is coming at you right now. What it do, Black and Blue? Welcome to another edition of the Black and Blue Podcast, where we celebrate diversity in U.S. law enforcement. My name is Dale, and I'm the host. Thank you for joining me, and I hope you enjoy your stay. If you do, do me a favor and click those like, subscribe, and bell icons right down here on my YouTube channel. Or if you listen to me on your favorite podcast platform, please rate the Black and Blue Podcast five stars. And last, but certainly not least, Check me out on any one of my social media pages for even more content. You can find me everywhere at Black and Blue US. All right, so let me bring on today's guest. She is the chief of police of one of our, one of our great American towns. Everybody, please help me welcome to the Black and Blue podcast, Raleigh, North Carolina Police Chief Estella Patterson. <laughs> Evening. Hello, good afternoon, good evening, I should say. It's not afternoon anymore. Good evening, Dale, how are you? I'm great. How about yourself? Doing wonderful. Send greetings to you from North Carolina, the great city of Raleigh, the city of Oaks. Oh, the city of Oaks. Okay. All right. We'll have to dive into that. Why is it called the city of Oaks? I didn't know Raleigh had a lot of oak trees out there. Is that right? And that's precisely why there are oh. oak trees in every inch of this city. Yeah, over 200 parks with oak trees in every one. So that is why we are infamously called the Oak um, City, City of Oaks. And when I first arrived in Raleigh, I had the privilege of seeing the Oak Fall on New Year's um, Eve. It was wonderful. Now I was getting really excited about it. I said, what is this about? You know, in New York City, you drop the ball. Other cities, you have different things. In Raleigh, North Carolina, they drop the Oak. They dropped the oak. Okay. All right. So make sure you're not in the path when the oak falls. All right. That is correct. <laughs> right, right, right. Yeah. Raleigh's a, a beautiful city. I've never been there, but you know, I know people that have moved out there and uh, they say it's really beautiful. And I see pictures, you know, on social media and all that. So I'm going to have to get out there one day. Absolutely. Very green, very hospitable. It has grown at a rapid pace, though, like most American cities right now. But um, yeah. we are going through some growing pains, but it's all good. Yeah, absolutely. So are, are you originally from the area? I am not, actually. I am from California, from the West Coast. Um, but my father was in the military, so I have traveled all around the nation as well as the world. Um, North Carolina ended up being home for me because I went to college in North Carolina. And then I moved to the city of Raleigh once I became the chief 
of the capital city. Okay. Okay. Wow. Nice, nice, nice. So um, how long were you out here in, in Cali? So on and off, probably about 15 years of my life. Um, now that I think about it, um, born overseas originally, but Sacramento is where we call home. That's where all my family is for the most part. And so I went to middle school, a portion of high school, um, a little bit of, I guess, junior high, middle and high school in California. Nice. And then you found yourself in North Carolina. Well, congratulations there. Yeah, yes. Cali thank you. Yay. Yeah, California's <laughs> changed. So, so yeah, it's, it's a little, it's a little different. Right. And many are migrating east this way. I mean, I think the mm -hmm. last time I was in California, I was in San Diego just visiting. Um, it's been a while since I've been back home. Yeah. Yeah. San Diego's beautiful. San Diego. Yeah. That, that's that's one place that's still still nice. But, you know, they, they have their problems, just like, you know, every city in, in the U.S. has got their issues. And we'll definitely talk about those. So, um, like you said, you know, you are the chief of police. Uh, you know, how long have you been in law enforcement for the first part, for the first part of our interview here? Yeah, so I have been in law enforcement for 25 years. Started my career in the Charlotte Mecklenburg Police Department, which is in Charlotte, North Carolina, the sec the largest city in North Carolina. And then Raleigh is like the second city behind that second police department in size. So did 25 years there in Charlotte. And then I transitioned over here to Raleigh. I've been here in Raleigh about eight and a half, almost nine months now. Okay, so so you're new to the area. How, how's that transition been for you, though? Wow, I mean, it's been good. It's overwhelming. It, I say overwhelming only because you know I'm coming from a larger city, so downsizing a little bit coming to Raleigh, but the experience has just been great so far. I mean, I love the city because again, it's so green. We have trees everywhere. I'm an outdoors person, so it fits my personality well. But just learning, you know, after you've been in one place for 25 years to make that move and have to learn all over again, it's a little bit of a transition, but it's it's going well. Um, I have been well received here in Raleigh, so I am just happy about that. Nice, nice. And, you know, the, the name of the show, Black and Blue, you know, we discuss minorities in, in uh, law enforcement. Um, you know, obviously the two of us are African-American, but you yourself are female. Um, has the chief, has the uh, city ever had a female chief before or are you the first? Actually, three. I'm the third. Wow. So the first chief. Yeah. Amazing. Um, yeah. And, and I love that about the city. It's so diverse and so welcoming of diversity. Um, the chief, my predecessor, uh, Chief Deck Brown, she was just awesome. And she was a black female, which I loved um, to see coming on her heels. I knew I had big shoes to fill coming in behind her. But the first female chief at the Raleigh Police Department was Chief Perloff. And that was, she was the chief, I believe in like the early mid nineties, that area, she came from NYPD. So I am the third, but I'm hoping that we will continue to see more women lead this great police department. Yeah, absolutely. And that's pretty progressive. You said the first one was in the nineties. That is correct. Mm -hmm. That's really progressive. All right. So what are kind of the, the demographics of, uh, of Raleigh? So Raleigh is a very diverse city, as stated. Um, it is 23%, roughly 23% African-American, 11% Latino, 45% um, Caucasian, and then, you know, just other, a mixture of Asian and other um, nationalities and races as well. Nice, nice. And had, had you always wanted to be in law enforcement? What's kind of your journey there? 
Wow, you know, I get that question a lot. And I tell people, I said, no, this is not what I thought I would end up being. Never in a million years would I thought I'd end up being a police chief. Yeah. Law enforcement was not the career that I was looking at pursuing at all. In fact, when I was in college, I figured I was going to either be a professor because I love to teach, be out front with people and help those learn and grow. Or I thought maybe I would go to law school, become a lawyer. You know, just never really thought policing. I was a political science major in my undergrad studies. Um, and really, I needed some credits to graduate in my senior year. And I said, I'm going to take some easy classes. And somebody suggested criminal justice. They're like, yeah, you could just breeze through those classes. And so I took like an intro to criminal justice. And I was just blown away because I was like, oh, my gosh, when I started learning about the law and started seeing the structure of it, and then just the fact that this is a profession where you really get to impact people's lives. I was really drawn to that. And also, too, just for my military, being in the reserves, I'm an outdoors person. I'm an active person. And law enforcement feeds that side of me as well. So it, it was just a natural match once I got it. And then once I got hired as a police officer, went to the academy, I knew there was no turning back. That This was going to be the profession for me. Absolutely. And you, and you did say that, you know, Raleigh is a growing city. It's got its growing pains, but it is growing. And then when I, as I cut to this scene here, I see behind you, looks like there's construction going on there behind you out the window. So is, is there a lot of construction going on out there in Raleigh nowadays? Oh, yes. Every inch of this city, anytime you drive through, there is construction going on right behind me. I'm in the North Hills area, which is North Raleigh. And in this particular area, it, the growth has just been exponential. There, it seems to me that there is a high rise or some structure going up every other day. Um, the building that I'm in now, across, you have the one right here across the street, but on the north side of, of the property, there's another construction um, site where there's another building going up. So all throughout the city, we are seeing this growth. In fact, this region is probably one of three in the southeast region that is growing. Um, Charlotte being number one, Raleigh being number two, and Greenville, South Carolina being number three. Really hot markets in this area. Yeah, yeah, I bet. I bet. I'm going to have to buy me a house over there. Buy me a high rise out there. <laughs> yeah let's do it come on let's do it yeah, all that yeah. California, that east. right right <laughs> so uh what, what's kind of the size and demographics of uh raleigh pd yeah so the pd is um, i'm allocated 800 officers and 106 civilians um we're you know considered a large police agency we're the second largest in the state of north carolina behind the charlotte mecklenburg police department um good sized department. Um, I'm so excited to be here. Like I said, you know, I've only been here um, almost nine months now and inheriting such a great police department is just an honor. But with our size, you know, we're going through some challenges, just like probably every other police department in the nation in terms of vacancies and, you know, how we fill those vacancies and we attract people to the profession. Right, right. And so how are you guys kind of trying to fill that void? What are you guys doing to kind of bring people into this profession? Because I know nowadays, especially since, you know, everything that's been going on with defund the police, reallocating, reimagining, all the, those sorts of things. What, what are you guys' philosophies on that and strategies? Yeah, well, I will tell you that, you know, the biggest thing for me is really stressing and bringing back the nobility in the profession. I think 2020 set us back as a profession and people just probably lost sight of the great work, the value in having police because yeah, you might have a small percentage of officers who are doing the right thing, the wrong thing rather, but the majority of officers are doing the right thing. 
And to show that integrity and that nobility within the profession is just so important to me. So for us, you know, as we're out recruiting, I, we send our recruiters out. I tell me there's no longer a time where in, in policing where you sit back and wait for applications to come to you. You have to actively go out and recruit. And so we have a team of recruiters and that's what they do. They go to colleges, they go to job fairs, places of worship, you know, partnering with the entire community to try to encourage people to come into the profession. We stress the nobility of it, but we also stress that this is a job where there's great satisfaction because you are helping people all the time. So we have been out and about doing that. Also too, of course, you know, we're advertising on our social media pages, our website. We have a site that's dedicated just to join Raleigh PD where you can go get information about our police department if you're um, you know, interested in being a police officer. And then also too, you know, doing a lot of follow-ups. As we go out and recruit, you know, we get interest, but we come back and we make contact with those individuals, call them, help get them through the process so that they can hi get hired and become an officer through our academy. Nice, nice. And, you know, earlier you mentioned the kind of demographics of the city. Uh, you mentioned 20 something percent African-American and, you know, some uh, large Hispanic population. Does, does your department kind of mirror the community or do you still have some work to do on that? Uh, you know, we really have work to do in that area. Our demographics at the Raleigh Police Department are very much are similar to most police departments. We have a large concentration of white male um, and we want to diversify as much as possible. Being a woman, it's important to me that we have female officers. Right now, we're about 9% female, national average being 12%. When I was in Charlotte, I made that a strategic goal when I was over our recruiting unit and we were able to increase the number in Charlotte to 14%. That is an attainable number that I'd like to get to. So while we're only at 9% right now, we are um, taking the pledge, the 30 by 30 pledge, so that we can really enhance our recruitment efforts around getting women on the police department. Women play a valuable role in this profession. I've seen it over the years and being a woman myself, I know that value. So we're really working hard to bring in diversity. I am so pleased, I will tell you, with the number of bilingual officers just in the last mm. couple months that I have been here that we have pulled in. We've been speaking with our Latino community, working with that community, and we're starting to see the fruits of that um, with bilingual officers being, or it, individuals being interested in this profession. Nice, nice. So, you know, with your efforts, well, first of all, you, you mentioned some 30, 30, 30 pledge. What, what is that? I've never heard of that. So the national 30 by 30 pledge, where um, you want 30% of your workforce to be female officers by the year 2030. And so that is a national pledge. Um, and many agencies, many police agencies have taken that pledge. And so as I was researching, I said, hey, I think that's attainable. We can do that by the year 2030. We can really increase our ranks, making sure that we have more women. And so we are working through our strategic plan because I told my team, I said, we're not just going to make the pledge without a plan to back it. So we're putting together our strategic plan on exactly what that's going to look like, where we're going to do our recruiting, how we're going to follow up with our applicants and with those who have an interest to make sure we're getting quality applicants, strong women who want to serve this community. So more to come on that, but we're looking to take that pledge very soon. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, we, you were talking about recruitment efforts and, you know, going into colleges and, and job fairs and things like of that nature. Uh, but on the other hand, you're also talking about trying to increase your minority numbers. Uh, I've had this discussion in my own department of, you know, also trying to get recruitment 
in other places where where African Americans and other minorities may be, you know, um, not just those job fairs and things like that. Maybe you know, in barbershops and and th- in, in the neighborhood for one, you know, just get out in the neighborhood. You know, uh, my my department sometimes does you know coffee with a cop thing. I'm sure you done things like that as uh but not necessarily african americans will go to those same coffee shops so we need to get into the coffee shops that they go to you know like i said the barber shops and the the local restaurants and, and do the same sorts of things are, are you guys kind of doing that taking that strategy that approach as well for sure we are we do co- coffee with the cops uh, we do that on a regular basis a monthly basis and throughout the city of raleigh but we have made a concentration in our Southeast Raleigh area, where is our larger concentration of brown and black communities. And we're partnering with our faith community, but also too, we have started what I call crucial conversations. Uh, we've heard of courageous conversations. So crucial conversations is where we're really partnering with our brown and black communities, particularly where our officers go into a safe space with members of the community. And they just have conversations and just, we don't invite any media to that. We don't invite any brass necessarily to that. It's just officers talking with community members. And that was birthed out of community. I went to a community meeting with ex-gang members, ex-offenders, and they said, you know, Chief Patterson, we have so many questions about why police do the things they do. For instance, why is it that when you pull over a car for an expired tag, that five officers show up on that traffic stop? Like, what's the purpose of that? As a citizen, I'm feeling threatened and, and fearful in that type of situation. And I said, you know, that's a valid question. So, you know, let's talk about tactics and why we do some of the things. And I says, in fact, we're going to extend the conversation. We're going to do these crucial conversations where members of the public can freely ask questions and where our officers can do the same thing on the other side, where our officers can ask the question of, you know, in our African-American communities, when we stop somebody, why do you take off running all the time? You know, those are the kinds of things they want to know. We wanted to create a safe space where they could talk about it without feeling challenged or where there there would be no judgment. And so we have really started to have that collaboration with those uh, conversations and they have been going well. And they're small sessions. We do about three officers, three community members, and they just talk things out uh, for about an hour, hour and a half, and then everybody goes on their way. But I talk about that because bring it back to, that's a recruiting strategy for us as well, because as these individuals learn more about the profession, and why we do what we do when we talk about safety and we talk about the various things, they're taking that information back to people who might be interested in being police officers and they're being ambassadors and talking to them. Or they themselves may decide that maybe this is a profession I want to look into. Maybe I can make a difference in my own community by becoming a police officer. So just things like that is what we're trying to take advantage of. That's part of our strategic plan with our recruitment. It is so critical that we are in our brown and black community because there is so much pushback there from 2020. The George Floyd killing, many don't want to join this profession for that reason. So I just feel if we continue to build those relationships, then you know they'll come around and we'll yeah. have more, we'll start to see more diversity. Now, playing devil's advocate though, uh, transparency is, is all what we need in law enforcement in our community so they can understand why we do what we do. But again, playing devil's advocate, do you find some pushback maybe from, you know, the rank and file that, you know, why do we need to tell the public why we do what we do so they can have an advantage over what we're doing as well? I mean, have you ever heard anything like that? Pushback on that? Oh, yeah. 
Yeah, of course, of course, especially our reason officers who came up or a time where you don't challenge the police, you don't ask any questions, yep. you get stopped, you just comply. And, and I understand that because I came up in that era as well. But as we look at building true partnerships and relationship with the community, we have to evolve as a profession as well. And I, and I always say it's about working smarter, not harder, right? I'm of the opinion, if you can get people on your side, they become your informal CIs, if you will. They're going to give you the information on who's committing crimes in your community. Build those relationships so that you can have that. And it starts with talking about what we do and why we do it, the whys. So when I get that pushback from officers like, you know, hey, it's an officer safety thing. We're not going to explain why, what we're doing. I says, think about the relationship that you're building and how that person is going to be beneficial to you. Because when something happens, it's a shooting, when something happens in one of our communities, once you've built that relationship, they're going to be calling you. They're going to say, hey, listen, don't include my name, but let me tell you who did it. Let me tell you where it's at. I'm tell you where it's popping off. Let me tell you where the retaliation is going to come from. And that's an absolute win for us. It's a win for the community, and it's also a win for the police department. Absolutely. Absolutely. So, yeah, transparency and, and getting all that information that you need from the community, because we can't do it alone, right? We can't be everywhere. Absolutely. We cannot whether it's an 800 or 8,000 or 80, 80 uh, person police department, you know, you can't do it all by yourself. So we, we need those, those eyes and ears and, and to help us out. Yep, I agree hundred percent. And, and, and we've seen it, you know, in this profession, we see it so much that we have those individuals who are going to call you. Now they ain't never going to stand with you publicly, probably. They're not going to expose who they are, but they will give, they will call you. They have your number, they have your card and they'll say, Hey, I'm going to tell you where it's going down and who's responsible for it. That is so valuable to us. And we have to, we have to really build that. Um, over the years, I've seen that kind of decline in police departments that don't have the transparency and that open and that openness. I'm vowing that my police department under my leadership will have that transparency and that openness with the community where they feel they can come and talk to us very openly without any kind of repercussions or without feeling that we're going to be adverse towards those types of relationships. Yeah, absolutely. And another prong in that, in that wheel of uh, transparency is also social media. So, you know, this black and blue being a part of that, you know, social media out there, you know, getting our name out there and, and letting the cup, the public see what we do, who we are. Uh, is your department kind of big on that? Or are you growing your social media presence? Oh, hundred percent. I'm always on my public information officer. I'm like, put it out, put that information out, really highlight, showcase the great work that our officers are doing on a daily basis, but also informational. Just the other day, we had a Peep and Tom case where um, we really had not, we, had, we didn't know who the person was. We had a picture of it, but we didn't have any idea of who it was. Immediately when we put that on our social media pages, we just got flooded with information, was able to make an arrest the following day. So it's just those kinds of things is just so critical. And because we're in an age now where everything is social, where everything is put on you know, social media and people are following and people are watching it, I told them, I said, we really got to leverage that as much as possible. Let's push information out so that the public have, has it and they can respond to it in a timely manner. Yeah. Yeah. I've seen even in instances where, you know, you got a missing adult, you know, a critical missing adult or, or child or juvenile. And you put that right. out there and then people are calling, Hey, I thought I saw him, you know, on the corner of such and such or at this, at the store or what have you. So, 
yeah, those things are crucial, crucial to get out there. And, and they help because, you know, people's on, you know, people on Instagram and TikTok and Facebook and all that stuff. For sure. And, and I, I'm sorry. And I was going to say, you know, I use it as an opportunity to, again, to build relationships. When I first got to Raleigh, uh, I was out and about everywhere and I'm still doing that, but we started listening, reading the comments of what people were saying as we were posting information. And I had individuals say to me, you know, she is in the black community all the time. We, how come we don't see her on this other side of Raleigh, this part? And I told my team, I says, reach out to that individual. I would love to go and visit his church or venue or wherever this person is. I would absolutely um, welcome that. And so I said, you know, that's good feedback for me. I said, so please find out who this individual is so that I can connect with them. Turns out it was a troller that wasn't even in the state of North Carolina. <laughs> it was just, you know, trolling our social media. Yeah. But nonetheless, it's an opportunity for me when, when there's individuals who feel that we're not spending the right amount of time in their communities, that they can reach out to me and make me aware of that. And then I can be a part of it. Yeah, it was a troll that was out in Hawaii. So, you know, they wanted you to visit Hawaii. And, hey, okay. <laughs> yes, I'm let's do it. I'm <laughs> Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And, uh, you know, social media is a big thing out there right now and, you know, humanizing us and, and showing that, you know, we're people behind these badges. So are you out there like on the, on the TikToks as well and doing the dances and, and, you know, is is the chief doing that? We're not there yet. No, I haven't gotten there yet. That's coming more to come on that. We're really just, you know, on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. Uh, and so TikTok is coming. It's just a matter of time. Yeah, yeah, my my department's not so much on on TikTok yet either, but you know we we do a pretty good job on Instagram. So, yeah, yeah, it, it, it's a good good tool to leverage. Absolutely, it is. So, what what's kind of your yeah? What's kind of the most uh, rewarding part of your job? I know you've only been on it for eight months, but what's what's kind of the most rewarding part of your job so far as chief? Wow, I'll tell you. Uh, for me, it's the clearance rate with our homicides. You know, I tell people all the time, what keeps me up at night are shooting incidents, homicides, the fear of one of my officers getting injured. And since I have been here, we have just done, the team has just done a phenomenal job on solving homicide cases. So in 2021, there were a total of 33 in Raleigh. 32 of those were cleared by arrest. It's just outstanding work all around. Um, And in 2022, you know, we've had a few rashes of, of killings, our detectives are on it. They are working as hard as they can to really you know, solve those cases. I think that is so important. I'm excited about that. So just being able to bring closure for families, being able to see the fruit of our work and our labor, that is, I think, what has been the most rewarding for me so far. Because when you, when you have a, someone who's victimized and, and they're afraid to be victimized again, and there's nothing that, you know, if there's no leads, you don't have anything, that is tough for an individual. Yep. You know, if you're the victim of a rape or an aggravated assault or something like that. So being able to clear those cases, make an arrest, bring some closure for those families, I think that is so huge and so rewarding. Yeah, yeah. How has your department been able to handle those those rises, those increases in, you know, violent crimes? Have you, you know, shifted more resources towards your detective bureau, towards your... Uh, I don't know if, what kind of units you have, but some of those, you know, street enforcement units. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, it has been a challenge. Um, we're seeing, you know, an increase in shooting incidents, um, aggravated assaults. The majority, well, I won't say necessarily the majority, but a good number, over a third of our shooting incidents are domestic violence related, are aggravated assaults or domestic violence related. And sometimes, you know, there's not solvable, I won't say there's not solvability. Those are harder to prevent because they're, you know, intimate partners and, and relationships, but the random shootings that we're seeing. So we have really dedicated, um, you know, our detectives to work into that, but also to the key thing is, you know, partner with our federal uh, partners that we have met with the U.S. attorney's criminal chief today, um, talking about, okay, how do we work together in a more substantive way? Because we always say we're going to partner with the feds. Right. But, but they have been the U.S. attorney's office has been really diligent about saying, no, we're going to go after the worst of the worst. Who are our top offenders? We are going to make solid cases so that we can ensure that these people are off our streets and that they don't continue to victimize. I'm all for that. So just really using all the resources that we can to do that. Um, we are challenged with staffing, our, but our detective bureau is fully staffed for the most part, especially when it comes to our major crimes units. So they are really, you know, working those cases hard, making those connections and the link, those linkages between gang activity and who the most problematic individuals are um, with that. Now, our field officers, you know, of course, they're in, in their spare time. I say spare time, but, you know, they're running call to call. Yeah, what's But in between that, that, exactly, no such thing. <laughs> but they're still finding time to do the proactive work proactive work where they are in the communities, where they're on walking beats, where they're really being visible as much as they can um, to be able to prevent some of this crime from occurring. Now, are you finding that those those gangs, that gang activity, is that transient or is that native to the area? Do you, are you finding that they, you know, they're coming in from, I don't know, what's, uh, you know, from Charlotte, from Atlanta, from, you know, up north in, in D.C. and in New York and all that? L.A. from that? A matter? little bit of Right. A little bit of both, but the majority is homegrown. It's right here. Um, Raleigh has always had an issue with some, you know, um, gangs and and that kind of thing. You know, that's kind of in the ground here in Raleigh. Not too much outside gangs coming in um, necessarily. We do have an entertainment district here in Raleigh where we have seen some gangs, gang activity um, Friday, Saturday nights, that kind of thing. But for the most part, what we're seeing are gangs who have traditionally been in this area right right yeah and, and it's tough to get a handle on but uh it sounds like you, you you're starting to make waves there and you're partnering with your federal partners and some of your state partners i'm sure as well so yeah great job great job yeah What's absolutely up? we're gonna keep it hard we're gonna you know just work it as much as we can and just rely on every resource every single resource i can use i'm gonna dedicate towards it yeah you got to that's that's all you can do Try try your best on that and and uh, and work at it. Work at it. So what's uh what's kind of the more challenging parts of being a chief of police in your eight months there? <laughs> wow, <laughs> I would just say, whew, not getting any sleep. I said I'm yeah. sleep deprived. I need to get some good sleep. Uh, well, you look like you, you, know, you, know, you look that- like you get your beauty sleep. Oh goodness, <laughs> my God, no! I said, Lord, I, I'm gonna need some rest around here. Uh, you know, being in the number two seat, when I was a deputy chief in Charlotte, those that was number two to the chief of police. We had four deputy chiefs. And it's completely different being in that number two seat. Yeah. When you rise to that number one seat, everything literally is on your shoulders. There's nobody to defer to. And so that puts a lot of stress 
on you, you know, mental stress, physical stress, everything. And so that it, it is tough. And I think other chiefs, I talked to other major city chiefs, we all have the same, you know, concerns. We all have the same issues that we are dealing with. It is just tough knowing that you have to make so many critical decisions all the time. And you have to be thoughtful. You have to be thinking about internally the morale of your department, externally what the community wants, what your bosses want, what council, mayor wants for the city. And they're not always aligned. In fact, most of the time they're not aligned. They're very conflicting. Just being able to navigate that. I think that's been the toughest part of the job so far. Yeah, absolutely. So in 2022, what do you think the role of a chief, chief of police is? Hmm. Wow. I think the role of a chief, um, it's, it's a varied role. I think at the core, you are a parent to all your employees. They are looking at you for leadership, guidance, direction, strength. And so just the same things that with our children, that they look up to us and they expect from us, it's the same thing with employees. And so you, you have to have, you have to be a leader, cannot be a manager. And I always stress to my folks, you have to lead, you have to be out front, you have to be the example, you must lead this flock um, kind of thing. So I think leadership in 2022, in light of everything this profession is, is has faced and is facing, we need a lot of public facing leaders who are going to lead their organization. Um, and then also too, you got to build the collaboration with the community. We took five steps back after 2020, particularly with our communities of color. We've got to find a way to rebuild that. And it has to be authentic. You can't just do things just because it's the right thing to do or it looks good. You must do it because you ha have a desire to really establish and build strong partnerships and relationships with our community. Because really, if an incident happens nationally, you got to know that you have enough collateral. You've built enough collateral within that community that they're going to stand with you, that your city's not going to riot, that things are going to be under control. And for some communities, we saw that in 2020, while other cities, they were rioting and tearing the city up. There were places because of the strong relationship with the police department that you didn't see that it was very much minimized. The citizens didn't allow it to happen in their community. They were backing their officers. They were there to support them. And that's important. And I'll tell you, the, you know, with that, too, that comes out of trust, building trust and ensuring that you're holding your own accountable. Right. If, if, if the community sees that you're not holding your officers to a high standard and hold them accountable to their um, conduct, then you're not going to be able to build that. So I just think as a leader, you have to be sure that you are building that trust within the community by holding your personnel accountable when they step out of line, when they do something that is um, brings the department into disrepute. Absolutely. But again, playing devil's advocate, uh, the public doesn't really know about, you know, police procedures as far as uh, discipline, disciplinary procedures, you know, police officers bill of rights and all those sorts of things that, you know, have to be worked through administratively uh, before an officer can be held accountable. So how do you kind of work that, that, that piece of it with the public? and not getting that information out to them that, you know, hey, this, this officer, he's going through, you know, administrative investigation right now, but, uh, you know, they want action today. Yeah, you got to educate them. You have to educate them. In North Carolina, I can't release body-worn camera footage on my own. I have to petition the courts to release that. So if there's an officer-involved shooting, in-custody death incident, 
you've got to explain to the public what the procedure is on that. Because quite naturally, they're going to be upset at the police. Release the video, release the video. We want transparency. I want transparency as well, but I can't give it to you until the judge says I can give it to you. So I think that if you educate and the more you put it out there, we're starting to see the public now understanding that many of our activists, they understand that, that they have to wait on the judge um, to release those videos or to agree to to the petition to release them kind of thing. And I have been very transparent. I was like that when I was in Charlotte, we saw the benefit of doing that. So when I came to Raleigh immediately, when we had an officer involved incident, um, I immediately petitioned the release of that video. And in the video, we tell the story and we talk about procedures. You know, the officer is going to be on administrative duty, which is protocol. Once the case is adjudicated all the way through because of personnel laws, there's only certain information that we can release. If you don't like that public, then change the law. Petition the legislature to, to change the law. But I'm not going to violate the law by giving information that I can't give. So I think it's just 100% educating people, helping them to understand. When we release our videos on our website, we do a narrative that tells you about the incident, what occurred. We point out things, you know, what we, and we show all the video from the lens of all the different officers who are on the scene. I think the more that we do that as a profession, the better it is across the board. There are some agencies that are like, I'm not going to release the video. You know, I, why? My question is why? If our, if our personnel have done something wrong, we hold them accountable. If they're justified in their actions legally, we need to say that and we need to show that as well. Yeah, absolutely. Yep. Yeah. And, and again, it goes down to, again, educating the public on why we do what we do. And that's one piece of it. Absolutely. Sure. So you said you're, you say you're an outdoor person. What, what, what do you like doing when you, when you're not chiefing? Ah, goodness. Am I ever not chiefing? I mean, I'm always in, in the seat. 24 <laughs> seven. Yeah, you are, but you get a minute or two. I do. I do. I'll tell you, I am an outdoor, like I said, outdoors person. I love going on long walks. I mean, that really just refreshes me, rejuvenates me. Um, when I got here to the capital city, I got a puppy. And so it's me and my puppy here all the time. And she is a beagle with a beagle nose. So she okay. likes, she's a hunting dog. So we go for long walks. I'm a runner that really helps me to just get my mind you know in the right place it gets me back to center so i like to run but i like anything that's outdoors i mean camping i haven't been camping in some years but i like to camp i like to go to parks just anything now i don't do water so much i'm not a swimmer that kind of thing so i'm not out at the lake or out you know out yeah, in the pool, yeah. that kind of thing but just being in the outdoors really um, rejuvenates me i love it all right and and what's the weather like down there? Does it does it get does it snow in in uh, Raleigh? Does it snow in North Carolina? Yeah, yeah, it does. We had some snow back in January. I think we had a little bit in February as well. We do get our fair share, but we get all four seasons in Raleigh, yeah. which is awesome. Um, yeah. Right now it's spring. It's nice and cool. We have a nice breeze. Um, you know, no humidity yet. Summertime can get quite humid here. But we cycle through our four seasons, and I think it's just beautiful. Fall, the leaves are turning colors, and you actually see it. The temperature's cool. It is wonderful. And then we have winter, of course, and it gets cold. But you get some snow and sleet, ice, that kind of thing. Yeah, I, I don't envy you on that part. But uh, the fall and the spring, I, I love that, you know. But we, we don't get the, the fall out here. We don't get the changing of the leaves and all that sort of stuff out here in Cali. So, yeah, I kind of do miss that. Yep. Oh, yes. 
But you, you're welcome to come to North Carolina anytime. We'll have you. All right. That's, I'm, I want to come. Like I said, I know some people that moved there and they, they rave about it. They say it's beautiful. So I've been meaning to get out there. So one of these days, I got a cousin that lives in South Carolina. So mm-hmm. I know that's you know obviously south of you, but... <laughs> But uh, mm-hmm. yeah, I've, I've been I've been meaning to get out there, and one of these days I'm gonna do that. Yeah, 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 yeah. Sounds good. Yeah, would love to have you. I'm I'm <laughs> a few years from retirement. We we're thinking about going to Florida after I'm done here. So you know, cause cause I, I, we kind of like South Florida. So uh, it's it's a hop, skip, and a jump. Hop, skip, and a jump. There you go. <laughs> yeah, indeed, indeed. All right, Chief, I appreciate you you coming on to the show and and giving me some good knowledge about everything in Raleigh and, and your your journey in the law enforcement. But uh, you are not done yet. Like I mentioned before, we're going to play a little <laughs> trivia game here for you. So check this out. This game right, is called, uh, yeah, this game is called. Black or blue, 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 black or blue. Come on. All right, so this is my black and blue game, Chief. And your category today is leader of the pack leader of the pack that means famous alumni of nc state university (laughs) famous alumni of of nc state Mm. university i'm just going to show you a picture of somebody famous uh from north carolina you told me you just tell me whether or not they went to nc state or not okay let's do it i'm not a wolf pack but let's see how i do you are now you are now you are in raleigh right (laughs) yes you are in Raleigh. You got to pick a side, Chief. All right, here we go. Here's your first All one. Right, let's do it. John Tesh is he is he a wolf packer or not? John Tesh. I'm gonna say not. Oh, wrong. He is. He did go to All NC the State. All the grads are gonna get me. <laughs> he did go to NC State. That's all right. We'll, we'll catch you up. We'll catch you up here. How about the next one, Grant Hill? Did he go to NC State? Uh, uh, no, he did that not. is correct. He did not go to NC State. He went to Duke. That's right, the arch rival. Yeah, yeah arch rival. All right. How about your next one here? How about Andy Griffith? Andy Griffith, did he go to NC State? No. That is correct. He did not. He went to University of North Carolina. All right, we caught you up here. All right. How about your next one here? Zach Galif. Biancas. Uh, it's a hard name to pronounce, but you know him from uh, from the Hangover movies. Okay. Go to NC State. Hmm. NC State has a large, wide, diverse alumni. I'm going to say yes on this one. That is correct. You did go to <laughs> NC State. <laughs> All right. We got you. Got you. Got you. All right. How about your next one here? Uh, Russell Wilson. Did he go to NC State? Oh, I should know that. Yeah, Russell Wilson. Um, yes. Before yes. 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 He played on the the baseball team. Yes. Yes. Yep. Yes. All right. Yeah, you're doing well here. How about your next one here? How about uh, we all know this? Michael Jordan. He go to NC State. <laughs> it would be an insult to him. No. <laughs> <laughs> that is great. You did not go to NC State. You went to University of North Carolina. Uh, how about uh, Ken Jeong? Did he go to NC State? Hmm. Ken Jeong. Uh, I'm going to say no. That, that is correct. He did not. He went to Duke as well. Duke, did, okay. Did, did you know about him? He is a real-life doctor. No, MD. did not realize yeah, he, that. 
He is an okay. MD and gave that up to be a comedian and an actor. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, crazy. Go figure. He's a Duke grad. I can see that. <laughs> right, right. Couple more, couple more here for you. How about uh, Bill Coward? Did he go to NC State? Former mm. Pittsburgh Steelers head coach. Wow, this is a tough one. I'm gonna say no. Uh, that would be incorrect. He did go to NC State. It's all right, and only two wrong. And your last one here, Senator John Edwards. Did he go to NC State? Wow. Okay, he's from North Carolina. I want to say Edwards went to UNC, so I'm gonna say no. You know what? We're going to give it to you because, yes, he actually went to both. Went to both. Oh, okay. Yeah. He got his undergrad at NC State and got his law degree from UNC. So we're going to call you All I do is win. winner. I'm Charlotte, so I, I don't feel so bad. Oh, okay. So you, you went to the rival school. So can you give up that allegiance? No. No. <laughs> no, no. 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 Nope. All right. All right. So, <laughs> all right, Chief. Like I said, I appreciate it. How about some words of wisdom on your way out the door here? Wow. Yes. Well, a couple of things. Firstly, I would, I would, you know, my faith in God is just, firm. That's what has kept me for 25 years in this profession. And I give glory always to the Lord and all that he has done for me. So I, I definitely want to let everybody know that, you know, if you don't have strength, if you don't, if you feel like you're failing, you have got to come back to center by having a strong relationship with your Lord and Savior and your creator. That's huge. Also too, for anyone who's listening and that might be contemplating a career in law enforcement, don't be dissuaded by all the hype and everything you're hearing through, you know, the negativity about law enforcement. This is an honorable profession. It is a profession in which you absolutely can make a difference in lives. I would encourage anyone who might be just even thinking about it a little bit to explore it more, do a ride along with a police agency, talk to a police officer one-on-one to learn more. You're going to find that this is a very rewarding profession to be in. I told you at the beginning, I didn't think I, that I would do it, but once I, got in this, I'm like, I can't see myself doing anything else, you know, and I'm coming up on retirement in the next couple of years, but I don't know if I'm just going to retire just outright. I think I'm going to want to continue to do something in this field. So I encourage anyone, if you're thinking about it, to really pursue it. Yeah, absolutely. Because there's a lot of things you could do. You know, we didn't get into this during the, the interview here, but uh, real quick before we let you go, talk about some of the things that you've done in your career. Um, yeah, so, you know, I've, I'm very proud of my accomplishments overall because the networks that I have built and just the knowledge that I have gotten from some things I've done. I'm an um, FBI NA grad, class 245. I went to SMIP in 2014 at um, Boston University, which was a great experience. You know, that's taught by Harvard professors, the art of policing. Um, and that was just a wonderful experience to be a part of. Also, too, I am a member of the North Carolina Police Executives Association Board, the executive board where we uh, provide training for our smaller police agencies, all our agencies in North Carolina, but really it's more beneficial for the smaller agencies that don't always have the resource and the funds to be able to send their people to um, training. 
And then also, too, I sit on the North Carolina Education and Training Standards Commission, which is the body that regulates all the policies, laws, everything as it pertains to law enforcement. We set the standard of what cops in North Carolina, and not just cops, but also sheriffs, um, will be in the state of North Carolina. So it's just an honor to sit on that board to be part of that lawmaking body that looks at what the standards are across our great state. Um, those are just some of the accomplishments that I'm super, super proud of. I'm also a member of the Eastern chapter of Noble. Um, when I was in Charlotte, I was the president of our chapter, the Greater Charlotte chapter. And so as I, as I have transitioned to this part of the state, I'm, I'm still involved in Noble, um, want to continue to do that. And so, um, yeah, you know, and throughout my career, I've just had the honor of doing so many things. I started as the president of my recruit class, um, you know, in 1996, never thought in a lifetime that I would become a chief of police. I just didn't see it in the cards for me, but God saw it fit and he put me here and brought me here a long way. So I'm very super excited about that, to be following in the footsteps of some great trailblazers and leaders is just, is really just an honor, just a yes. complete honor. All right. All right. We appreciate you, Chief Patterson, and uh, wish you continued success out there. And Raleigh, as you as you move forward and, and, you know, tackle those those problems that you guys have and, you know, like all cities have and and, and make it a better place for me when I come to visit out there. Right. <laughs> awesome. Sounds good. Thank you so much for having me. This was wonderful just being able to have all a conversation. Right. I appreciate you. You have a great one. Awesome. You all too. Right. Take care. Take care now. Bye bye. I now that's what I'm talking about. Another fire interview. I want to thank Raleigh, North Carolina Police Chief Estella Patterson for hanging out with me for a little while on the program. Keep up the great work out there in Raleigh, Chief. I look forward to seeing where you and the city go from here. You guys out there enjoyed this as much as I did? Click that like button right here on my YouTube channel or rate it five stars on whatever podcast platform you're listening to me on right now. I'll be back in a couple weeks with another great interview, but till then, come on. Stay with me. Stay black and blue. I'll holler. Peace. This has been a Nature D Entertainment presentation.